Hey everyone, before we get started, I just want to talk about our sponsor, Anchor. Anchor simply is the perfect place to go if you're trying to start a podcast. First off, free, that's great, but there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Super easy to use, super intuitive, Uh, and then once you have that edited, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places uh, where you listen to podcasts. And when they're distributed, you can start making money from your podcast right away. No minimum listenership. Start getting that anchor money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one spot. So what are you waiting for? Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm right now to get started. Now, the Schooner Pod. Hello, and welcome to the Schooner Pod. We are here to talk about... An actual football game this week. Believe it or not, that's a thing that's happening. I'm your host, Bobby Howard. With me today, I got Jameson Maxwell, got Ty Lee, and we're here to break down the OU football roster ahead of what we assume will be a football game against Missouri State. Knock on wood. Anyways, so let's just get right down to it. The one position that everyone in the national media thinks has we have an issue with, but any OU fan actually knows we have zero issue with quarterback. Spencer Rattler, we talked about it last week. Name starting quarterback. Jameson, do you have a single iota of worry about Rattler at the QB1 spot? I don't worry about it. He's going to be great for this season. He's going to put up big numbers, but he's going to have some freshman mistakes. Like this is his redshirt freshman season thrown into the starter. Um, you know, Kyler Murray made mistakes whenever he was thrown into his first start, and he was a Heisman cap. He turned the ball. Oh, no. This is pretty much when he froze. We, we lost Jacobson again. We, this, is, this is actually run number two. We lost him again. Uh, Ty, talk about uh, Spencer Rattler, your take on Yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll close out Jameson's, I guess, because I heard it once before when we lost him, but uh, basically what Jameson is, was uh, saying and his, his full thought is he's a freshman, uh, temper your expectations. He's going to make freshman mistakes. Uh, you know, Bake and Kyler Murray both made a lot of freshman mistakes. And yeah, uh, Rattler got some snaps last year, but this is really his first year of not only being the, the starting quarterback, but this is his first year where that responsibility is on him. So um, my, that's kind of my take too, is, is what I would hit on is, um, you know, him, him playing last year is, is really important to get those, those snaps and those reps in a live game, but it's a whole different amount of pressure when the responsibility is on you and it's, you are the name, you are the starting quarterback, completely different from, you know, Oh, we're up by 42. I'm going to step in and throw some passes. If I mess up, we can throw somebody else back in. So Absolutely. Jameson, uh, you were cut off there. What do you have to say about Spencer? Kind of finish your thoughts there. Yeah, I, was, I mean, he's going to make mistakes. You know, he's going to throw his interceptions. Um, he's going to make big plays. He's going to be a great OU quarterback. And there's going to be moments where we're going to be really, really pleased and we're going to be laughing. We're going to be like, look at this guy. This guy's awesome. Then he's going to have a lot of plays where it's just going to be extremely upsetting. He's got a great game versus Missouri State to get all this um, – all of his wrinkles out, um, and hopefully he will be great for us moving forward. Heisman, maybe, uh, but we'll see about that. Yeah, I, I think we definitely need to find a middle ground between expecting this guy to be a Heisman quarterback and, you know, trash, because, which is, which I feel like OU fans go one way or the other, and it's it, 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 that just isn't the right way to judge someone who – is taking their first snaps against, you know, uh, LSU's like four, uh, F team and South Dakota, who is probably worse than LSU's F team. So honestly, like, I, I think Rattler has all the tools he needs to succeed. I think he'll be an excellent, solid quarterback. And if he isn't, he's not going to be a detriment at all. Um, I think there are a lot of more, a lot more concerns for this OU team than the quarterback position. And, you know, everyone talking about it in the media, that's just a fun buzz point that everyone seems to know about OU. Everyone associates us with quarterbacks. So when you don't have a guy you know, that's the thing you talk about. Um, but 
let's talk about something we talked, we, we just kind of touched on last, last week, you know, really kind of went in, it was less of a touch, more of an in-depth, uh, the running back room, just kind of wrap this thing up. Cause we talked about it last week. You can read, watch that. Uh, if you want to hear a little more in depth. So going into this, Lincoln Riley said today, um, no updates on the suspensions, so we can ex- expect Ramondre Stevenson as well as uh, Trey John Bridges and uh, um, Ronnie Perkins to be out. We'll just keep going with that as we keep rolling through these positions. Um, just like so- they were rolling it on their off time. <laughs> <laughs> that was a low-hanging fruit right there, and you just snagged that thing <laughs> out of the air. Puns will continue until they are playing again. That's why you come here. You come last week. They were hitting it this week. They were rolling it. (laughs) Who knows what Bobby's going to say next week. We don't practice these. No, we don't. This is the content you pay for. Yep. That's right. With your listens of our uh, anchor ads, which I will drop in later. Not now it's too early. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But anyways, let's just run through it real quick. Who's your guy in the backfield tie? Spencer Rattler. To just run the ball, just keeping it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean uh, last week. Last week, I I've declared sort of that I'm going to take the Marcus Major camp, and I'm hoping he comes out and, and shows out. So that'll be my hill, I guess, that I die on for the backfield is him when he immediately gets injured or just plays garbage. <laughs> I feel like Major definitely has the highest uh, ceiling, but I'm going to go with Pledger just. Because I, I think this is he, – he has more reps. I think this is the year he takes a jump. I could be wrong, but, I mean, honestly, that's a, that's the beauty, beauty of an OU football season. You really don't know. Yeah, a lot can happen. Yeah. Especially in the backfield. Like, I feel like every other year you get a guy who comes out of nowhere, tears it up. So Always. Yeah, always. My pick, always somebody. Yeah, so my yeah. pick's going to be Pledger. Uh, when Stevenson comes back, he's going to be fantastic as well. Uh, I see him more as a two back anyways, no matter what. Um, I don't think that's – his style of running isn't like an every down type of back. But, um, yeah, give me Pledger for right now. Jameson? Yeah, I think that um, Pledger, Major, and McGowan will kind of have their moments, especially versus uh, me against – me behind, golly, um, behind a good offensive line. But uh, I don't think really any of them will stand out and be that big guy that rides the hot hand. Um, once uh, Stevenson comes back, I think Stevenson's our guy. I think he's going to be the number one, and I think he's going to be really, really good for us. So that's my guy. It's Stevenson, even though he's suspended. Certainly, certainly. Moving on, we'll uh, chop it up real quick about the wide receivers. So Charleston Rambo entered OU with a lot of hype, You know, very highly touted recruit, um, and he's shown flashes of brilliance. It was incredible at the start of last year, kind of tapered off a bit. But is this going to be his year where he breaks out the way that we've seen CeeDee Lamb, Hollywood, and DD, you know, really take off once the guy in front of them leaves? Um, because I kind of think it could be. But, you know, it's it's kind of fickle. I don't want mean to be middleman Bob here and, you know, not have any opinion on it. But, you know, I, I, I think either – I think we'll see by the end of this season either we um, – or uh, or Rambo as the guy in Oklahoma. In Oklahoma. Um, Jameson, who do you think is going to take the top dog spot? Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I think Rambo is going to blow up. I, I mean, if you hear some people say, and who's the best Texas wide receiver of all time coming out of high school, some people say Rambo. You know, he has got great talent. Um, and his year to break out could have been last year. But to be honest, Jalen Hurts was not the throwing quarterback that he needed to do well with. Uh, I really, really like Rambo, and there is not much around him in this wide receiving room where he's going to get um, lose targets. This is his time to shine. I really do think that he's going to step up his occasion. Weiss is great, but I still think he needs another year to turn up and be that big-time guy. Ty, do you think uh, Rambo is going to draw flirt first blood here? Uh I, I feel bad for using that pun. <laughs> no. um, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit apprehensive because we, I, I think Jameson maybe had a credible point uh, with the Hertz being his type of quarterback, but I, I'm really apprehensive about Rambo because 
um, of last year. So had he been off all year, sort of had he been second half of the season Rambo all year, I would almost be much more optimistic because I'd be able to say, oh, you know, he was young, he's grown now and developed, but he was, you know, exponentially more impressive in the first half of the season and then it just kind of um, ended. So we saw that he was capable of it last year. So, and then it, and then it went away. So I don't, I'm because of that, I'm a little more apprehensive. Um, I don't know who knows. And, and there can always be somebody that, that steps up and it, you know, to tie back into Jameson's comment on the type of quarterback, it doesn't necessarily have to be the best person, you know, just the best receiver on the team. It can just be the one that meshes the best with the quarterback and, and uh, Rattler may be really meshing with someone that maybe doesn't have the same hype. So who knows? Uh, but I, I would, yeah, it's, it's, I can't make a call here. I don't think that's fair. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go with it. I think Rambo will be the guy. I love his explosiveness. Um, and I think honestly, having a more dynamic quarterback that doesn't just go for your, I guess, first guy is going to help him out a lot, but yeah. Um, I don't. I don't see Rambo ever being a sort of um, a Sterling Shepard or type, uh, or like Ceedee Lamb type receiver. I don't. I don't ever see him being that. But I can really see him being a, a Hollywood Brown type receiver. I think he's. I think he's going to turn to a second round pick, and Lincoln's going to scheme around him this year. Every single year, Lincoln will scheme around, make sure a wide receiver gets his touches. Like I said, Jalen Hurts is not a guy who's going to throw you open if it's not schemed to you. It's schemed to C.D. Lamb. C.D. Lamb got all the flash plays. He got the bubble screen. Um, he got the, the end around. He got the, he got the plays where he got to go make his time in the open field. You know, the times Charleston Rambo caught the ball, it was a, like an absolute like, like up-in-the-air duck, and he'd catch it in like double coverage, you know, like, he never really got to play himself. It was always just CeeDee Lamb, and it was a completely CeeDee Lamb-centered offense because that's the only thing you could do with Jalen Hurts' passing ability. Jalen Hurts did not have the ability to make a second read, and that's where Charleston Rambo was every single time in the center's offense. Now Charleston Rambo will be the first read, and Spencer Rattler is going to be even more successful in getting the wide receivers involved than Jalen was. Yeah, and CeeDee Lamb was an absolute, absolute crutch uh, for Jalen you know, towards as the season got tougher, as we started playing teams that, you know, actually could kind of play defense. It was, it was very obvious to me that CD lamb was the focal point of that offense. Yeah. Um, he, he almost had the inverse where he, you know, the start of the season, we were wondering what was up and then he, you know, really showed out at the end. So definitely. We'll see. But yeah. So talking a little bit more about wide receivers. So, Entering last year, we had this incredible class of receivers with Jaden Hazelwood, Theo Weiss, and um, why am I blanking? Uh, Trey John Bridges, you know, the one-man wrecking crew. Um, and now we're in a situation where we weren't – we used to be, you know, kind of not sure which of the three was going to really come out. But now with um, Jaden Hazelwood's ACL tear – and, um, you know, Bridges' suspension, because, of course, uh, it seems like Weiss is kind of the guy out of those three to take the leap. Jameson, do you, do you see um, Theo Weiss really, you know, taking a, a big step here? Um, obviously, you believe that Rambo will be the guy, but do you think, do you think this is his step towards becoming the, uh, the shining star of those three? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I still believe that um, Bridges and Hazelwood are a step above him, and that's not saying much because Weiss is very, very talented, and he's going to have to take a step up. He's really not going to have any choice. He's the number two guy, and there's not too much behind him other than hopeful freshmen and young guys that we think they can fly. You know, I think Weiss is going to make a step up just because he didn't have much from last season to step up from other than that, you know, that Baylor touchdown. You know, Weiss is going to have a good season just from sheer targets. Um, with his quarterback from his recruiting class. Um, but I think, Ram, like I said earlier, Rambo is going to be the star. Uh, but Weiss is still going to be nice, but he's not going to be this big wow factor of, like, this guy is absolutely amazing. He's a superstar. You know, he's going to be good, but I wouldn't say, like, he's going to blow up. Ty, your thoughts? Yeah, uh, 
you know, kind of what Jameson's saying. I guess your original question is kind of a layup. You know, who of the the three is going to be the show out <laughs> here? Uh, well, there's only one playing, so he has that locked up at least. But uh, yeah, I think you know, like Jameson keeps heading on. We're very young. We're a very very young team, and in the skilled positions at least. And don't expect it to look you know, like a fully mature, developed, you know, junior heavy team because it's not. So we had a lot of talent and we have a lot of work to put in and a lot of learning to occur uh, before this team or, or what is essentially the core of this team is really ever at its peak. So yeah, temper expectations is really, I think, big the big theme for at least the first half of the season. Certainly. Now, moving on to tight ends. We obviously just gushed about how much we absolutely loved Austin Stogner. That's no doubt. Quick question, though. Do we see Braden Willis and Stogner kind of playing like a double tight end set? Do you, what, what, do you, do you see Braden Willis taking any sort of advantage here? Um, I, I, I don't think we've had a dual tight end you know, system really since, um, since Calcaterra and uh, – and uh, Mark Andrews way back when. Um, do you see Lick and Riley taking advantage of that? Yes, I do. I think both of them are really, really special. I think Braden Willis was an absolute blessing that we got him at the end of the recruiting cycle in 2018. You know, he's one of those guys who just fell under the radar, and as soon as they saw him at the end of the cycle, they said, we got to have this guy. His body is just completely matured, and it's turned into a perfect kind of receiving tight end. Um, get back and play a little bit of H-back. Here's what I think. I don't know if it's going to be, you know, your t- traditional two tight ends on the line, you know, one on each side, one, one next to each tackle. I think um, you could put Stogner on the line. He's a lot more bigger bodied, really good blocker. And you could put out um, in the H um, wide receiver spot for Willis or in the H back. Um, and you can play both from there. That's where you're going to see it. I don't think it's going to be your Andrews Calcaterra because both of them are receiving tight ends. Um, I think there's these two have definitely completely different um, mindsets in how they play the game. With Stogner being well, more, way more balanced, and um, Braden Willis playing a little bit more um, Swiss Army knife. And as we know from Lincoln Riley, Lincoln loves a Swiss Army Army knife. We've seen that, you know, Dimitri Flowers obviously being one of the ultimate ones. But I feel like Willis is a bit more. I'm not gonna. I wouldn't say dynamic, but as a receiver, he's a little bit stronger in that aspect. Well, I always kind of saw. Uh, Flowers is a bit of a weird H-back, more of a – in the vein of a receiving running back than an actual receiver himself. So Willis is definitely a huge impact there. Ty, your thoughts? Yeah, I think think like Jameson said, uh, and and you also said, having having people that are multi-use is really, really exciting when you have a coach like ours. Uh, And this is something that I've hit on – you know, a few times in the past years is we talk about all these players being young and and we have to remember that Lincoln Riley is young too. This is his first head coaching job. Um, and he's still learning and and his, you know, play calling is, is developing and there's been some, you know, stuff that we've been upset about in the past and he's learning through that. And I think one of the things that has remained constant with him is sneaky tight end plays where we will have plays where, you know, the tight end goes through his, his blocking progressions and stuff, and then we will always have those one or two plays where everything else develops normally except the tight end releases for, you know, some some pass options. That's something we've seen with whatever tight end Lincoln Riley has, and, and I think it can be a, a real weapon if you have a guy that is not expected to be, you know, receiving tight end but can still really catch the ball. Uh, there's some great potential for for playmaking, especially when you got two of them out there, because um, you know lots of lots of stuff can happen. So definitely, definitely. Now we would talk about the O line, but we would all trust Beanbow. It's going to be an excellent system. We talked about this a little bit last week as well. Maybe some shake up there. We're not really sure. Uh, Jameson, just quickly reiterate to the uh, fine people out there what might be happening, what we might be seeing on the line. I know OU doesn't release a depth chart till way late, so we don't know for sure what will happen. Um, notoriously a very you know, secretive program, but uh, mm. just reiterate quickly uh, you know, what, um, what's going on there. 
Yeah, the, I mean, we're on our line. We have four or five starters returning, um, with the left tackle being a hole. Even though Swenson did have some time starting there in the press conference today uh, with Lincoln, they asked him who's who's going to play the left tackle. Obviously, he's not going to sh- show his cards. He named all four people that are in contention there. And and the, you know, the big three names at that left tackle tackle spot is uh, Swenson. Uh, and then who started in the, the guy who started in the last scrimmage with the first team, which is absolutely surprising was Anton Harrison, uh, freshman out of the DC area. And then Stacy Wilkins is the guy that a lot of people thought that he was going to come in and take that job. So who knows what's going to happen? Are they going to stick with the guy that was in the first team in the scrimmage last couple of weeks ago? Um, maybe, or maybe it was that just beating both giving a look towards that. Um, who's the most talented in my, in my thoughts. I think Stacy Wilkins is, most talented. Swenson never ever had it, and I don't want to go back to that. I'd rather try other younger guys. And Stacy Wilkins is a good recruit, and uh, he's had a year in this system to learn everything. And uh, that's something that even though Anton Harrison's getting first team reps, he has not had a year in Beatenbow's system, and that is extremely crucial for offensive linemen to know their role and know their rotations. Certainly, certainly. So. Ty, no offense, we'll just scoot on from the old line talk right into. No, yeah, no, I, I'm, sure, I'm, I'm sure you're just. No, I, I have, that. I had it, I have some takes there, but they tie into some other stuff. Okay. So. Yeah. No, uh, I'd actually like to hear those takes. Oh uh, no. So, so what I was going to say was not line specific. I, this is the second segment in a row I've given a sort of an off topic, but I think I've talked about in the past. Again, I think this was sort of my last segment that I didn't talk about what we were talking about, but I've talked about in the past how I'm a fan of our intentional vagueness. And I think, and, and, you know, withholding information. And I think that this year with the uncertainty of things, that is so much more important than it has ever been. Um, and I think, you know, especially with, with, you know, what's going on and the potential for someone to be out medically is you know, astronomically higher than whatever because you don't have to be injured anymore. And I think when we hear the coaches talk about all of these different people getting reps and all these different positions and, and everything else, you know, it's we're one cough away from having God knows who, you know, playing any position um, really anywhere. So it's, it is, you know, really, really important. And, and we like to think that we're being vague, but there could be more. There, I don't think there is. There's not more to it. But that, that intentional vagueness and then also that, you know, making sure that we're not showing our hand and making sure that anyone can play anything um, is probably more important this year than it has ever been in, in college football. Yeah, and I think, honestly, we're at a perfect halftime kind of spot before we talk about the defense <laughs> to bring about this point, which a lot of people have talked about nationally. Um, one of the things Lincoln Riley announced in his press conference, if you had not heard yet, was that they are no longer going to disclose uh, COVID-19 numbers, you know, information about who's in, who's out. Um, and it's, it's, it's controversial, but I, I'm, not, I'm not really sure how to feel about it. I, on one hand, I get where people are upset, you know, because it's a public health information. If there is a, you know, a local spike, you know, I, I, I get that. You want to hear about it. But also, I think it's safe to assume that college campuses are insanely dangerous and that spikes are happening everywhere. Um, but in yes, general, but- in general, that information is still going to get reported. I, I think they'll still do the right thing. I think they'll still withhold people from games. Um, but it's, it's obviously a very tricky thing to talk about. And I kind of want to get Jameson's thoughts on this. Um, Jameson, do you think it is a, what do you think about the kind of moral? And I know we don't never talk about moral sort of things here. Um, what are the moral ramifications to kind of withholding these numbers? What do you think? Well, the, here's the thing. I feel like a lot of the national media has been taking this and kind of running with it by its words. They're saying like, we're not going to tell anyone who's infected until like right until you don't see him in the game. They're going to eventually report it, you know, and they're eventually they're going to quarantine them in the process before then you know like it's not like this guy has covid we're not going to tell y'all he's going to be walking around the campus because we want him to play in the game and we're completely manipulating all of our data so we can keep on moving forward this is just like this guy's got hurt in practice he let's just say he pulled his hamstring 
Um, they're going to withhold him from practice. They're going to make sure he stays healthy, just the same thing you do if you had COVID. And then whenever it comes down to game time and you don't see him run out of the tunnel with all of his teammates, there's going to be that, that tweet, you know, from one of the OU insiders. They'll say, like, oh, it doesn't look like we see insert this guy's name here. And it's going to be the same thing with COVID. The way that Lincoln Riley is discussing it, he's trying to make this uh, COVID like any other injury. And that's how we got to view it in this, um, in this setting, honestly, if we want to move on any forward. And I understand there's public health with it, and you have to disclose it, but it's not like they're keeping it to where, like, them not disclosing it is going to cause a spread. It's not hurting anybody else's, um, else from knowing this. And it's honestly, it's a kid's medical right, you know, to um, have that information cho chosen to be displayed. And that's the university's right if you sign those over to them. Um, so really, to be honest, I think that some people are just kind of taking this out of context and really don't know the whole situation. Um, and I think it's a little bit silly. Yeah, it's a it's a storyline. So so I can actually speak to this one, I guess, with some – so Jameson kind of hit on it, but it's um, – they're still under OU's COVID policy. So him excluding that information from the press is – the only people that are being excluded is the press by the names. So if you have a player – even a player, because um, they're all students – We'll use some heavy air quotes there, but they at least occasionally show up to classes with students. Uh, but if they test positive, that whole course gets notified that someone has it and everyone has to go fill out contact tracing and, and screeners and stuff. So it's there's still there's no public health risk because, um, you know, as 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 students and especially as football players, when they pop for it, we have quarantine entire dorms and buildings set up where they're sending people that live on campus that are quarantined. Um, and and it's probably one of the stricter quarantines ever because everyone else is just going home and hanging out with whoever they live with. But there's no public health risk to not telling the media, oh, specific person has, you know, a presumptive positive or a positive for COVID because all of those necessary processes for the people that are at risk of contracting it from that person are occurring still. And have, have never stopped and they never had any relation to whether or not the media knows. And, and that's the same thing with the university's policy. They're not saying, oh, specifically, you know, this person has it, but they'll tell you this, you know, someone in your class has it, and then you just do the math and figure out who isn't there, uh, which is hard with the players because, you know, usually they don't come anyways. But <laughs> I, 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 I don't want to bump in here past my welcome here, but here's my thing. Oh, sure. we're, getting, we're getting the view of how people are enraged and how people feel about this policy of not being able to tell the media and telling everybody the player's status and health status with COVID or not until the game happens from media members on Twitter. Of course, the media members are going to be upset. They're media members. We can't yeah. gauge the, like the mood of the whole nation from people who have their like stake in the game. I, I, I don't like it one bit. Um, if they're sick, um, they don't have to tell the media. They don't have like their, their kids. They have their own medical rights. Um, they don't, the whole world doesn't have to know if it's going to screw up, um, your betting lines, screw that. Come on. Yeah. yeah. And you, you know, the media has complained about OU's injury update policy for forever. And it just seems like now they've found like the slightest bit of, you know, thing that they can argue. So, you know, in the past, like Jameson said, somebody tears their ACL, you know, you can't really argue OU just saying, Oh, we're not going to update you. But now they, Oh, we're, you're putting people at danger, which, you know, like we just explained they're not, but yeah. Well, not only that, but if it's significant enough, the game will get canceled. Like, you'll know. Like, if it's a public health issue, they're going to be the first to know. They'll quarantine everyone. It's just, it, it shouldn't, it's really not that big of an issue in terms of reporting it to the public, I think. Yeah. Um, because, you know, any either it's small enough that they can just put them away and, you know, you don't need to know about it till game time happens or it's large enough where it cancels a game. And then, you know, because the game's canceled. Um, so that's really what it boils down to. The policy of how they're doing this with contact tracing is if you are in any kind of contact with the athlete that got diagnosed with COVID, you are out for two weeks unless you've had the virus before and then you're not. 
So that's why you hear about Texas's, you know, defensive backs room just completely getting depleted all for two weeks because the whole defensive backs hang out with each other. That's why you heard about the rumors from OU probably about a month ago of like our whole defensive line during a scrimmage was out and we had offensive linemen moving over just for the sake of the scrimmage. You know, they're doing their fair share. And, and what's going to happen is you're going to see these schools skyrocket down and have to cancel their games like we just saw with Baylor, like we just saw, you know, with OSU. And, um, you TCU. Know, yeah, I'm with TCU. You know, uh, you're going to see that and you're just like, wow, they must have like 40 people diagnosed with COVID. And they might have. We don't know that for sure. But the most likely option is they probably had a couple people and that sprouted into like a, they were exposing them. So therefore we're going to put them away. For two weeks. Well, and, yeah. And you just, you, like you said, you know, you just take out one position group and, and that's it. You know, if you, if, if, uh, you know, someone's, I'm not going to say, Oh, you knock on what I don't want to, you know, jinx anything, but if somebody's, you know, O line gets it and the whole O line is positive, that's, you, you can't play. You like there's there's nothing you can do about that. Like you you can't plug, you know, random people onto the O line. You're not gonna have enough people on the defensive line to to do it. So it's you know, things like that can really that's what it is. It, it like Jameson said, it doesn't have to be, you know, forty, fifty people. It can be, you know, a dozen people. Definitely. And I know probably people are tired of hearing about COVID nineteen, but this is something that is going to completely change the way college football is played. It, whether or not a game can be played will be completely dependent on this. Uh, games can be changed on a dime. It, 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 is in, it, it is unfortunate, but it's absolutely uh, integral to how this uh, game is going to be played. Yeah. Now the season is going to be played out. It is an inescapable, unavoidable reality, and it's something that we definitely needed to talk about in terms of how the season goes forward, how testing happens and um, how you get these games played on the field. So just want to say that we're not, you know, obviously would love to not talk about this. We'd love to just talk about football, but unfortunately that's just kind of how it it is right now. I'm glad we did. Like you said, I I know everyone's tired of it, but you know, I think, I think especially with the specific things that we hit on, I think we were, uh, from what I've seen from different media and, and OU stuff, pretty unique uh, information yeah. uh, that we've put out and stuff. So it, hopefully it was beneficial to to everyone and kind of educated you because it, it, it we can't go this season without talking about it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's, it's absolutely the elephant in the room. Just needed to be mentioned, especially with everything going on. I mean, shoot, by the time we recorded podcast number one and podcast number two uh, of our attempts at this, uh, we had a game canceled, so... It's um, just needed to be talked about, but now it's time to talk about our depleted defensive line. So (laughs) little jingle to uh, pivot us there. Very direct. Uh, Jalen Redmond opting out of the season, um, which is not great. D-line, probably one of our thinnest positions. And uh, I mean, especially with Ronnie Parkins out, we're desperately needing to lean on Perry on Winfrey. I feel like uh, early on in the season, uh, especially with big games against, I think Kansas State's a solid team. Iowa State also great. And then you know, Texas, um, that's a really tough uh, first. You know, three out of four games. So let me ask y'all this: Who do y'all see stepping up on that D line uh, to really fill the holes left by you know Perkins suspension, Redmond's opting out, and then obviously. You know, Neville Gallimore going to the NFL draft. Jameson? Yeah, so uh, what I read is it looks like that uh, uh, Marcus Stripling, who would be filling in for Ronnie Perkins' DN spot, is in contact tracing, and there's a chance he won't be playing on Saturday because of it. So that makes our D-line even thinner. The two biggest guys by far – um, on this line is Leron Strokes, um, Big 12 Newcomer of the Year last year, and he is going to have to step into that D-tackle position, move inside something that he was not recruited to be, um, and take over Jalen Redmond's spot. Um, and then Isaiah Thomas is probably the next guy up on, at that DN spot after he's the third string behind Stripling and Perkins, and um, 
after that, it gets really like there's not too much else there. Uh, John Michael Perry is another name that's been thrown out that could be playing the end as well, a guy that used to be the rush linebacker. Um, I've always liked Isaiah Thomas. I, he's, they've always raved about his athleticism. And it's, you know, you, it's kind of like the same mantra of what you heard about Neville Gallimore for years. He's not nearly as good, not nearly will be as good. But it's like this really athletic guy who does so well in practice, but then it comes to the game and nothing really happens. Isaiah Thomas got to show off now. And our D-line's thin. And he's going to get a lot of snaps to show us his athleticism. Certainly. Ty, what do you think? Yeah, I just – when um, – have we – has the uh, the suspensions changed because of the season schedule changing? Or is it still no. just the game? No updates to the sus- uh, suspensions. Okay. Yeah, so, that I mean, that's that's rough. And it's it's one of those things that – you know, I, I don't know if it, if it can even be called it. And we're just going to have to see who, who steps up. Um, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, it's a, it's a really bad wrench that's been thrown at our defense that we've had some great expectations for. So it'll be interesting to see who, who steps up. I, I really don't have anyone in mind because it's, it's kind of too early for me to, to tell. Uh, but I like to say that in an optimistic way, because I really do believe that someone will, you know, show up that we don't expect. So certainly. And, you know, we didn't even get a spring game to see who would come out and, um, and, you know, I I know media, uh, not that it matters for us firsthand, but we can definitely mooch off of everyone else's hard work. Um, But I know media restrictions have been basically zoom. No one really at practice. So um, a lot of unknowns. So, I think we'll try to zip through the defense a little bit. We're already running a little late. Thank you all so much for listening, by the way. Um, so let's, let's just get an anchor ad. Ah, yes, anchor. Uh, <laughs> I will reward you with a, an anchor ad. Uh, anyways, so let's talk about the linebackers a bit. Obviously, huge loss in uh, Kenneth Murray. But I don't know. I, I, I really like a lot of our guys who who can kind of fill these this position. Um, Sean White. One of our favorite, uh, one of our favorites as well, David Agwebu, uh, I like a lot as well. Uh, Jameson, who do you see being a standout in the linebacker position this year? Yeah, it's got to be White. Um, this is like his defense now to lead right in the middle. He's gonna um, have not too much competition behind him with Agwebu and Robert Barnes, both converted linebackers, being behind him. Everyone says that he's got one of the smartest brains of a linebacker they've had in a long time. So we just got to see it. And um, with it, Asimov will probably be starting next to him. Asimov is going to bring some flair, um, but is he going to be a solid piece moving forward? That's something I'm really going to keep my eye on moving forward of how he produces James. Definitely. And then, you know, kind of an, on the more outside rush linebackers, we got John Michael Terry returning from injury, which is very nice. Uh, his injury definitely hurt us in our linebacker progression last year. And then uh, Nick Benito, who is one of the massive heroes in that Baylor game with that incredible interception. Um, Ty, how do you feel about the state of our linebackers overall? Yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm pretty apprehensive because it's such a, a crucial part of the defense with, you know, the teams that we play in the big 12 and Murray really was, you know, at times the entire, Kenneth Murray is the reason we didn't lose to army at home. Um, that one time. So it's, he was a huge part of the defense and it's just, it's going to be really, I think it's going to be a, a pretty substantial blow. I, I think his loss, to the NFL is, is going to be bigger than anything else. Yeah. I'm scared, but I'm not, you know, you know, I don't want to sound like a gooner on it, but we definitely have some guys that can step up. I, I know I've said that on every position, but this is the one that I'm most worried about, this position group. Certainly. Jameson, thoughts on the outside guys? You know, quick thoughts before we move on. Yeah, Benito's going to be a stud. I foresee uh, John Michael Terry playing a lot of the end because of the thinness of that position. I think Benito's kind of got that spot solidified, but you never know with COVID tracing and if he'll be out, um, that John Michael Perry can always step in. Um, we'd also love to see, you know, other guys. Um, if Oguebu doesn't work well, linebacker going back down to the rush was a position he played really well at. And, you know, Joseph Wete can develop. Um, he'd be great, but he seems to be a little soft this training camp. So I don't know if we'll see too much of him unless we're in a pinch. But I think Benito's probably one of the most solid 
people in our um, um, front seven that we have right now. Certainly, certainly. Um, and now moving on to the big question everyone always has with OU, the biggest gripes, the biggest um, frustrations, the corners and safeties. Uh, honestly, OU getting Trey Norwood back might be one of the biggest returns we've had in a long time. What does Norwood returning to the uh, lineup do for this OU defense, Jameson? Uh, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's big time. It's, it's depth. It's a leader that's been there and done that. Um, but is he going to return to his full form? And I understand there's a lot of moments where Norwood probably wasn't the best out there, but he was always solid. That's, he's, he wouldn't give up anything big, he, but he never really made too many flashy plays. Really had a good head and shoulders. I don't know if he can beat out Jaden Davis for that second corner spot, to be completely honest. Jaden Davis ended, um, started the year like a stud and played really well as a freshman. And that freshman to sophomore um, jump is always huge in college football. I think Jaden Davis on one side and Trey Brown on the other, and then you kind of sprinkle in Norwich for depth is probably what you're going to see. And I hate to say it, I really do think Buki's going to solidify that nickel as well. I was about to bring that up. Uh, do you see you know, um, Norwood more as a nickel or a corner? Um, Buki, you know, much maligned um, by several people sometimes on this podcast. Um, I don't know. It's, it's a weird position because I feel like we have a lot of guys who – can kind of rotate and figuring out where Norwood's going to fit in this defense is really interesting to me. I think no matter where you put him corner, you know, safety, I think he's definitely a plus. Um, But Ty, do you think Buki is going to take a step up this year into um, the player we thought we were getting and, you know, he's improved for sure. Yeah. Do you think this is where he makes his leap? Yeah. So I was you know, just to touch on the whole secondary, this is where I am the most certain of – this is like my, th- I think, third most certain position group. So offensive line, 100% solid on them. Quarterback, very solid on him. And then outside of that, I almost have to say the secondary is is uh, top three and in, in where I see us being the most solid. Um, you know, I, I talked about how we have almost no one on defensive line and then you know, I'm very apprehensive about what's going to happen with the linebackers, especially with such a depleted offensive line. But, um, yeah, I, I I don't know if everyone remembers, but I had a big turnaround on Buki uh, when I started to watch him not during plays um, because, you know, he's been, you know, kind of fickle, kind of hit or miss on, on some plays. And then he just does astronomically stupid things, like when he got ejected from the Baylor game for, like, hitting someone for no reason. LSU uh, as well. Yeah. Was I thinking of LSU or did he do that? Yeah, it's okay. To be honest, LSU. I forget about LSU. He does, stupid thing. he does stupid things sometimes. So hopefully he's grown out of that. But um, yeah, I, if he can get past those little stupid things, I think he has great potential to be a leader on this defense. And, and I'm really, not too concerned about our our secondary. Like you guys talked about, um, you know, Jaden Davis and, and Trey Norwood both being back and, and with Buki and, you know, all the other guys. It's it's a it's a position group that this is probably the first time ever that I've said this, you know, going back to, to 2014. But yeah, this is a position group that I'm I'm pretty solid on and I already freaking know that I'm going to be made into a meme for saying this, but uh, I think this could be our most solid by far. This could be the, the element that the defense leans on. Okay. I'll get, I'll get behind you. Put me in the meme with Ty because <laughs> I feel so great about the secondary. You know, obviously a team that scores a bunch of points like Oklahoma is going to have the passing attack versus them constantly. And it's bound. The secondary is bound to have points scored on. That's just going to happen. But I feel good about too deep at every single position in our secondary. Um, like I Buki, ever since that LSU game ejection, that really pissed me off. But I know he's smart enough that he's going to use that as a learning tool moving forward. He was getting really good at diagnosing plays beforehand as they were coming last year and breaking them up, even if he wasn't big enough to actually make the tackle, slowing things down. Jeremiah Cordell would be a great option at the nickel if Buki starts having even more troubles and doesn't take the jump that he needs to be. And like I said, I think I think uh, you know 
I think Norwood's going to stay at cornerback. I think that's his position. And we don't even have to talk about these two guys because they're the most solid in position in like no doubt that you're losing um, their starting job in Delaren Turner-Yale and Patrick Field in the safety. They're, they're Grinch's guys. They, he loves them. They play well. And I love Delaren Turner-Yale. I, I think he's yeah, very, very, very underrated on the season. I was going to bring that up, yeah, because he's you know had that had that injury in the past. I was I wanted to bring him up and make sure we didn't you know skip past that. But yeah, that's a that's a name that everyone should be familiar with and and uh, has a lot of hype, shown a lot of promise in practice. Um, and you know we haven't got to see him as much, but yeah, this is we're we're very solid there, and I think that's a I think it's a good thing. And you know I every year is a new slate, so these guys can always. You know, hopefully, Buki has learned to stop doing stupid things, and our uh, our corners have learned to stop being bad at being corners. I'm gonna go ahead and say this because I want to join in the meme. We're going to have two players in the first or second team, all Big Twelve on defense from secondary. Yeah, there yeah, you go. I can, get, I can get behind that. Throwing that really spice can. on. Yeah, I'm in it. Who, like, who are who are the players then? Let's 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 pop more on this. Who do you think um, the two players that you could put on there? Because I've got my two in my mind. So I'm gonna go with Jaden Davis and okay. um, Jaden Davis, and I'm gonna go back to the very first episode of the Scooter Pod. I called oh Buki. no, I called oh, no. Buki <laughs> as the defensive newcomer of the year. Yikes. I'm gonna say he makes like a second team. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get spicy. I don't know you if I'm right at all. Players on first or second team, first or second. Okay, they just have to make first or second. Top so two. we'll have two players from the secondary in both the first and second team conference combined. Yes. Okay. Combined. Yeah. Just, just in the yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not. I'm yeah. not. I'm not saying two players on the first team. It's first or second, and I might be totally wrong on. Which players it is, but I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna call my shot. Go Jaden Davis and Buki. Uh, I think Buki's probably gonna end up second team, but I don't know. That's my spicy take. So, uh, Jameson, who do you got? Jimmy Turner, Yell, and Trey Brown. I like it. I like I like Trey Brown. We haven't talked about him enough on this pod. Ty, who do you got? I uh, yeah. I'm, I'm. That's. I think it's stupid. <laughs> I, think, I think it's not as stupid as when I thought you were saying who on first team. Okay. Yeah, no, don't don't loop me into this. All I said was that the secondary is not the worst part of the defense. You said it would be what the one we leaned on. You said it would yeah, be the one we leaned on. Secondary is the best the secondary is the most solid part of our defense this year. I think that's more of an that's indictment my, on our that was my start. That was my start. Yeah. My yeah. thought was that the secondary is the most solid part of the defense this year. Don't okay. convert that into, Ty, who are your two for first team all big blow? <laughs> okay, okay. Let's move on. So I'd like to give a big shout-out to Gabe Burkich for uh, being so good. We don't have to talk about him on the podcast because he's going to be great. So special teams, I think they'll be fine there. I really like uh, – I mean, Beamer Ball, always great. We get our stuff done. Um, I guess we could talk. I don't even think we need to talk about who's going to return kicks. That yeah. doesn't matter. Nah, we're, 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 we're at 40, 48 minutes going strong. Thank you so much for listening. Um, so I think we're going to make this a two-parter. So let's just go into Cruton Corner, everyone's favorite spot. And uh, Jameson, I uh, think we have a little treat for you, actually. Um, didn't <laughs> didn't give us an we we the podcast itself does not have an intro, but this segment so special it has its own. David, yes, what is this, David? This is a rooted corner with Jamison. Everybody dancing. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> oh, this is so nice. Oh man, I love that scene so much. Oh, okay, I've got to get my composure. Okay, Cruton Corner, to be completely honest, not much has happened this week. Um, really, the big scoop, if you want to talk about anything, is uh, Tiger Summit happened, um, where LSU did their little Sooner Summit thing, and, and Tristan Lee went. And 
that's the team that we're really scared of. If we're going to um, snag the five-star offensive lineman for, um, from the East Coast to come to uh, OU, we'd have to beat LSU out for them. And um, crystal balls are coming in for them to LSU. It's going to be hard to take them. The only shot I really do think we have is if we can get him on campus and start moving forward to kind of make him fall in love with the family aspect that everyone talks about at OU. But if we can't have an in-person visit, I do not see us beating out LSU. I guess the other big thing talked about is Caleb Williams in his new SI article talked about how he's going to go out and be kind of a coach. What's going on in the background? I have no idea what just happened. I'm so sorry. I thought <laughs> I forgot I wasn't muted. I'm so sorry. Bob's up here watching I'm gonna, me. I'm going to mute myself. I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought there was some kind of extra like voice thing that Bobby was pumping in. Like, go get him. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I'm just giving you words of encouragement. All right. Back to the solo view with you, Jameson. I'm like, shit, I don't have too much to talk about. But yeah, Caleb Williams is going to do a little Friday night's tour where he's going to try to go to all of the big targets Friday night games, recruit them in person even more. If you don't want to play with a guy like that, you're crazy. Um, you want a quarterback as your leader in college football. And if you've got, got a guy who's putting in this much effort, it's really, really easy to get behind him. And if you aren't coming to OU, um, if you're on the edge between a team um, and us and you choose another team, you're, you're making a mistake because this guy is something special. And if his play is just half of his effort that he's putting towards trying to create a good future for you, we're going to be in a really good place. So, yeah, hopefully he can get Kamar Wheaton in the boat. That's probably the biggest guy that we need to get recruit, and he's kind of on the edge with. Tristan Lee, like I said, maybe not happen. Emeka Boulay, it's another pipe dream. But, yes, definitely. Him getting out to Texas, recruiting those Texas guys like Bryce Foster and Kamar Wheaton are going to be huge for us moving forward in this class. Without a doubt. I, I mean, having a guy like that is, like, I've never seen anything at all um, in college football remotely similar to that. And I know COVID enables him to do that, but that is just a next level of commitment that you absolutely would just love to see as an OU fan. I'm pumped about it. Um, that, that I don't know. The future's bright at OU and uh, very pumped about that 2022 class. So Ty, any thoughts before we wrap this portion of the uh, podcast up before we go to picks? No, I was completely zoned out for that entire thing. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> that's okay with me, man. That's that's all good with me. So, um, all right. This has uh, been the OU football preview. We also will have picks, and uh, honestly, we're probably going to drop these uh, tomorrow if you're listening to this on release. So, uh, thank you so much for listening. For me, Jameson and Ty. This has been the Schooner Pod. We will see you very soon to give our picks on what should be an um, interesting and hopefully played week one. So, boomer sooner, y'all.